Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hi, welcome to another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel Wayne, and this week I am excited to have a guest that I've been looking forward to having on the podcast for quite some time. Kate Hannon is an author and has developed a series of resources for teaching math from a biblical worldview. I have known Kate for quite some time. I don't know how long, maybe a decade, something like that. Uh, She is a homeschooled graduate, and she started developing uh, curriculum and resources a while back, but she's continued to put out new resources. And I'm probably a little bit behind the curve here as far as knowing about the latest material that she's working on. So I'm looking forward to kind of learning along with you what she has in the works. And uh, some of you would know her uh, by her maiden name that she published under it in Loop, and she is now married. And um, so, Kate, great to have you with us. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the podcast. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a real so, honor. I think I go back like even around 2004, 2005. I remember oh, wow. I your book called Homeschooling from a Biblical Worldview, and you were one of the first people I heard talking about how the biblical worldview really did apply in different things. Well, yeah, 15 years ago. Okay, so I knew it had been a while. Um, Yes, and so I I think the the issue, well, we'll get into that, but the issue of math is one that a lot of people um, believe there's a religious neutrality in mathematics. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want to ask you, what inspired you to start writing materials to help people teach their students math, and particularly math from a biblical worldview? Because uh, from what I understand of your story, math wasn't necessarily a strong point. You know, there are people who are just dominantly math students and they love it and they uh, just, you know, are bent that way by nature, if you will. Uh, If I understand correctly, that wasn't necessarily you. Is that correct? That's correct. I came from a family where people around me were that way. My Mm -hmm. mom was great at math. My dad was a CPA. My brother became an engineer. But I was more your artsy, history, English kind of person. And I was not going to touch math when I graduated. But something changed. And I grew up in a Christian homeschooling family. And we were blessed to you know, have a biblical worldview as we were looking at science and looking at the different topics, mm-hmm. except when it came to math. Okay. You know, we kind of had this idea that I think pretty prevalent that math was just neutral. I mean, one plus one equals two, and it equals two whether you're a Muslim, a Christian, or an atheist, right? Like, it's a fact. And so we had just had this idea that, you know, apart from putting a Bible verse at the top of the page, maybe about how, you know, God divided the Red Sea when you're talking about division or throwing in a problem related to Bible times, there wasn't any real way to teach math biblically. And so that's how I was, was brought up. And as a senior in high school, my mom handed me this book called Mathematics is God Silent that she had picked up. Dr. And James it was, Nickel. 
by James Nichol, yes. And it was a larger, more technical book. And she had picked it up at a conference a few years prior and had, had just sat on the shelf and she hadn't gotten to it. And so she decided that it would be part of my reading for the year so that she could figure out what it said. And I, you know, to be honest, I started it thinking this is going to be a waste of time. He's just going to talk about adding that Bible verse to the top of the page. And, you know, of course, math can't be taught neutrally. Yeah, three, um, three crosses, five loaves, two fish, yes. biblical math, right? Right, that kind of thing, yeah. And so that's that was my perspective going into this. But as I read it, I was blown away by how, really, he goes through the whole history of math and shows how, apart from a biblical worldview, we cannot even account for why we're able to use math outside of the textbook. Yes. And he shows you how different mathematicians have tried to explain that and how their own worldviews have kind of capsized on themselves. For example, Pythagoras and his theorem actually disproves his worldview and how he was trying to explain math's existence. And so it was just, it blew me away to see that math was really shouting out God's praises. And it made me go back and think, okay, what, did, what was I really learning all those years when I wasn't seeing God in math? And I realized I was really learning it in a humanistic and naturalistic way because math works as I have a textbook, right? We all know one plus one equals two. But if you don't give God the glory for the one who has created those underlying consistencies that we're really describing in math, then you're subtly giving that glory to either man or to math itself. And so I wanted everyone to be able to, to get this. And it made, it made algebra kind of come alive for me. I had never understood why I had to deal with all those X's and Y's. I was pretty good at it. I didn't have a choice but to be good at it. But I didn't understand why in the world I was learning it. And right. now, all of a sudden, I got it. It was a way of describing consistencies God created and sustains. And it was shouting out his praises and so I was like going around going, you got to read this. You got to read this. And people were looking at me going, we're not going to read that book. You should write something simpler. And I'm like, really? I, I don't know. I'm, math was not what I was going to do. And um, the Lord made it clear that I was supposed to write about it. And actually, James Nichol helped edit my first book. Oh, wow. And supported me in that process. And um, the Lord just provided lots of people to help, you know, get started in that. So that was going to be it. You know, I wasn't, I was done with math. And then people were like, we really want more details ready to go. And so that led into my second book, Revealing Arithmetic. And then people were like, we want a curriculum. And I had, uh, I had said, I'm not writing a curriculum, but the Lord made it clear I was supposed to write a curriculum. And so I have, I've written a junior high curriculum and we're just finishing an algebra two curriculum now. And so I'm very excited to be continuing to look at math, but that was kind of my journey getting going. Yeah. So your first book as I remember, and correct me because I'm old and my memory is horrible, but wasn't Beyond Numbers your first book? It was. Yep. Okay. And, uh, and that book is still in print, still available? It is. Mm -hmm. So what I loved about it is that you really did. You took Dr. James Nichols' book, which, uh, you know, I'll admit 90% of that went over my head, uh, but I caught the concept of it. I really got what he was going for. And it influenced my writing in uh, homeschooling from a biblical worldview, which is now out of print, which has now be kind of rolled into my newer book, uh, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? And, uh, you know, I had a chance to, this is off the off topic a little, but I had a chance to speak at a conference with Dr. Nickel one time. Um, I was at a biblical worldview conference and we sat down and had lunch together. 
and um, we the conversation. There was someone else who came up who I think was like a astrophysicist or something like that. And here I was sandwiched between these two guys, and uh, it, it was very interesting as we were eating a bowl of chili and and having a conversation uh, about things that I had no concept whatsoever what we we're talking about. It's just basically it's one of those things where somebody throws you in the deep end of the pool and and you're just supposed to swim. It was one, it was one of those conversations, but. But what I liked about your book is that you took these very huge, profound steps that he explored and uh, just did a phenomenal service in his book and made them accessible to people like me who uh, are not mathematicians and who are not uh, inherent, uh, you know, inherently hardwired to, to understand those principles. So um, and then your second book, you said, was Reasoning with Arithmetic? Uh, revealing Arithmetic. Revealing. Okay. Revealing Arithmetic. And and tell me um, specifically, I own that book. It's been a little while since I've looked at it. Tell me specifically what that book entails. Is that um, kind of similar to the, the teaching philosophy of how you would go about teaching math concepts? So it goes a little deeper than that. So Beyond Numbers is kind of the philosophy, the big okay. picture in a you know, short read for parents. Revealing Arithmetic is arranged by concept for the concepts that are typically covered in arithmetic. So counting, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, that kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. arranged by each chapter is a different concept. So whatever concept you're teaching, you would look up that chapter and it'll give you the biblical wow. worldview and some bulleted out ideas that you could Excellent. pick one or two of to do with your child to actually help them see God in math. Because I, what I found out was, you know, people who had read Beyond Numbers were like, we get it, we want that, but we want resources ready to go. You know, we don't want to have to try to figure this all out. And so this was designed to give them those tools. So I think every parent has had a scenario with their child, particularly if they're homeschooling, you're going to run into this for sure, where your student doesn't like to do the work or struggling with a concept and they look you in the face and ask, why do I need to know this anyway? Mm-hmm. Why do I need to know math? How am I ever going to use this in life? Why is this important? And so I, I think the answer that I frequently heard people give to the why study math question is, well, you need to know math because you need to make sure that somebody's not giving you incorrect change at the grocery store. You need to make sure that your boss is paying you the right amount on your paycheck, that people aren't ripping you off. Uh, beyond that, maybe having a concept of finances so that you can manage and steward your money well, uh, and just the functionality of you need to be able to know math to make good grades, to get a diploma, to get a college degree, to get a job, to be able to make money. But it, it tends to come back to you need math to be able to make money is kind of the the gist of what most people explain. And I've often felt that for a nine-year-old, there's just not a whole lot of payoff for them in that. You know, I mean... They don't have a concept at nine years old of uh, how valuable that would be unless, you know, in some hedonistic way, they do understand like, wow, if I had unlimited dollars, like unlimited candy or something like that. But from a biblical worldview, uh, what's the big picture on the why behind studying math? What is the purpose from say God's perspective or from a biblical perspective, why should students study math? In what way is it helpful or useful? What, why does God want us to study math? I appreciate that question. So I think there's multiple f- faucets to the answer. 
when you look at why study math, it kind of connects to why is it that math works? When you, when you take math and you realize that it's a way of describing consistencies that are around us, like one plus one is going to equal two. Well, why do those consistencies work? They work because day after day, God is governing all things predictably and powerfully. And he says uh, in Jeremiah, there's a verse that says that if I've not established my covenant with the day and the night and the fixed laws of heaven and earth, then I will reject the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant. So that would include those consistencies like addition and subtraction, and multiplication, division, those fixed laws that we use math to describe. God was saying, look, you can see I'm a covenant keeping God from what I've made. I'll be just as faithful to my covenant with you. And so it's ultimately, as we study math, it's an opportunity to behold God's glory and to realize that he is a covenant keeping God, that he's infinite. You know, we can look at infinite numbers and they blow our minds. Mm -hmm. And yet you can look up at the stars and there's an apparently infinite number of them, yet God calls them all by name. You know, he is even bigger than that. Gives us a glimpse of his greatness, of his sovereignty. You know, you could be in the darkest pit of your life and one of something plus one of something is still going to equal two, right? Because God is still sovereign and your circumstances have not changed him. So as we look at math, it's really this opportunity to behold him. And as we behold his glory, it changes us. You know, it humbles us. We realize we're not as big as we, we think we are. It helps get rid of our fear because it's that God who has promised to save and bring us to heaven if our faith is in Jesus. And so it's tremendous opportunity to, to behold him. And then it's also a useful tool that we can use to complete whatever task it is that he's given us. You know, back in the Garden of Eden, God gave man work to do even before the fall, right? And that was part of his plan. And so he gave us the ability to do it too. And you see an example of it with Adam naming the animals. Adam was looking at God's creation and he was assigning a name. In math, we look at the quantities around us and we assign names and numbers to describe them and work with them. So it's that same type operation like Adam was performing back there in the Garden of Eden. And it's at just like Adam did that while worshiping the creator, we can do it while worshiping God through Christ Jesus. And so it's it's a useful tool, so to speak. Walter W. Sawyer called mathematics a chest of tools, like a chest of tools. And I love that imagery because tools come in different shapes and sizes. You got simple ones, you got more complicated ones. In math, you got simple concepts that you're going to use a lot. You got more complicated concepts that you're not going to use on a daily basis unless you go into certain industries. And yet they're still really powerful tools to help us with tasks. And so we have that opportunity then to learn math in order to be able to apply it in different scenarios, not just necessarily for money's sake, but because God created us to do tasks here. And whatever that looks like, whether that's working around the house, whether that's in an industry, we want to be able to complete those tasks that he's given us to do. And as we use math, and we do that and we apply it, we again see God's glory, even in the way he created creation. You know, if you look at a sunflower, you can tell, wow, this is an amazing creation, right? And yet if you look at it with math, you'll see that the seeds are arranged in such a way that the most number of seeds can fit in any sunflower. So God created them to reproduce in the most efficient way possible. And it's math that helps us see that. And that's true whether we're looking at you know, plants or whether we're looking at other parts of creation. As we use math, we're again going to see, see the creator's wisdom. So one of the things I try to do in my programs is really for every concept that they're learning 
give them a glimpse of how it applies in different industries and in different fields and how we can use it to look at things like the sunflower and behold God's glory so that they're, they're not just being told, hey, God's in math, now learn it. And, you know, one day maybe you'll figure out why it works. But they're really getting to see, wow, this is, this is a way of describing God's creation and it's incredibly useful. And it's reminding them over and over again that God is faithful. As you share that, I think about John 17, 3, where Jesus said, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And I think very rarely do we ever think of mathematics as being an opportunity to know God, but he has revealed himself through the created order, through what he's made. And Romans 1 tells us that. So we're without excuse because you know, his, his divine nature and his attributes are revealed through the creation. And so when we study math, we see what he's like. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, humanistic math would put man at the center of right. or humanistic education would put man at the center of everything. And a biblical worldview would be what Jesus said, you know, what is the nutshell? It's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. So either education, and in this case, mathematics is equipping us to love and serve ourselves which is, I think, dominant even within the Christian homeschooling movement, the way that math is taught. For most parents, they're teaching their child that this is all you being well-equipped to love and serve yourself. Hmm. I, they don't say it in those words. Yeah. I, I really think that is the dominant force of how math is taught, or that in studying this, you come to know God and, and love him and serve him more, uh, and then using those skills to love and serve your neighbor um, either loving and serving yourself or lo loving and serving God and loving and serving your neighbor. That really is kind of the nutshell in a way of the, the humanistic approach to math versus the, the biblical worldview of math. And, and if people can kind of get that template, that helps them, but then they have to know how to flesh it out, right? And how to be able to apply it specifically because you're going to apply loving and serving your neighbor differently if you are a homemaker or if you're an airplane pilot or an architect or a computer programmer or whatever, the application of it will be, or an artist will be vastly different, but everyone everywhere uh, will do math, won't they? <laughs> it's a question of will we do it well or will we do it poorly? And doing things poorly doesn't really glorify God, does it? It doesn't, it doesn't uh, make us good image bearers uh, of him when we do things poorly, because that's not what he's like. He doesn't do things poorly. So, um, so, so I saw your uh, junior high curriculum um, as it was coming out, uh, published by Master Books. Uh, you self-published the other two books, correct? Correct, yes. Okay, and so people can get those predominantly through your website, which we'll give you an opportunity to give uh, at the end of the show here. Uh, but then Master Books published Principles of Mathematics, which I'm going to go out on a limb and say I believe it's the best junior high curriculum that I have seen. Um, now, when they say junior high, um, that usually covers like sixth through eighth grade is, is kind of how it gets marketed. Most of my students have not really been ready for it in sixth grade. I, I would describe it seventh grade and eighth grade. And I'm not a big fan. Uh, you're, you're homeschooled. I was homeschooled. I'm not even a fan of grades uh, okay. as a concept. But, you know, people know how to kind of relate to that within the society in which we live. But how do you describe those books? Are they Six through eighth, is it other other students that, that maybe um, are past that ninth, tenth, and still trying to catch up to the, some of that? What, what's your experience been as people have actually used it in the real world? 
You know, I'm like you, I'm not a fan of grades at all. Uh, it's more skills. And we have had lots of high schoolers who were still struggling in math. Math is very cumulative. So a lot of people get to algebra and they're lost if they just learned math prior to that as more of like following rules and didn't really understand the concepts. Yeah. And so a lot of students in high school have actually gone back to principals. The way it's organized, it was trying to make it so that you could come to it from any curriculum and it would fill in gaps and really present the concepts in an orderly fashion so that you could fill in any of those holes that were missing. But there's so much applications and historical information and getting to see it in science and that the older students don't feel like they're reviewing at all. They're still being challenged and they're just getting that deeper understanding of what they might have just learned rotely prior to that. Mm -hmm. So we've had great success with high schoolers going back and using it. As far as what grade, I think it just depends on the student. They need to already be pretty comfortable with fractions and be at the cognitive level where they're they're ready to be challenged with word problems. To They'll be taught how to do that, mm -hmm. but they need to be able to reason to, at that level in order to, to start it. Um, and so some sixth graders have been ready and sometimes it has to be a seventh. So it just kind of really depends on the student and where they're at. But I want to go back if I can for a second to what you're saying about humanism and the humanistic approach. Because another thing too is um, that I find helpful to, to think about with it is we can see it more easily in science. Like I think most parents would recognize that there's a humanistic and naturalistic approach in science or a biblical approach. And yet math is necessary for any degree in science because it's the tool that goes with science. So if you say math is neutral, for example, you're really saying that those consistencies all around us are neutral, which is really naturalism. It's saying that the orderly way that this universe operates is just the result of, of mother nature, so to speak, which is giving God's glory to nature and to math itself, which is a naturalistic idea versus in humanism, you know, you're giving that glory to man. And in math, that looks like as well that you're saying that man must have come up with all these wonderful equations and it works because man is so smart. And so students who are learning year after year after year, all these math algorithms and they can see that they work. They're left thinking, well, mathematicians must be pretty smart. I should trust math. I should trust man. And that can be very subtle for me. Like I said, I grew up in a Christian homeschooling family. But when I became a teenager time frame and I was trying to make my faith my own, math was a hurdle for me because I had learned it in that humanistic way. So I thought, well, I need proof that God exists. You know, I need to be able to reason it from, you know, from my own understanding as opposed to had I been taught a biblical worldview, I would have seen that apart from God being true, there's no explanation for why I can even trust math. So you, and, you don't think randomness and chaos in evolution could have created mathematics? No, I don't. And actually, like I said earlier in that um, book, Mathematics is God's Island, he shows you how you really can't form an explanation for math apart from that biblical worldview. But if that biblical worldview is not being taught, students are subtly getting the other idea because they're, mm -hmm. they're seeing it works and they're being taught it from these math books. And so they're thinking, I can trust my math book. I can trust mathematicians. And then they're being taught, you know, that 
that those same scientists are saying the earth is millions of years old and they're, they're left confused. Um, so it's just a very important, really important thing to, to change and to begin to teach it so that God's getting that glory instead of, instead of man. And I really liked what you added to that and the idea of, you know, then you're trying to learn to do it so that you can serve the Lord, not just serve yourself. Let me throw a trick question at you. Oh, no. <laughs> There's a trick question. I've seen this in math books where people say the Egyptians created math or the Sumerians created math or the Greeks created modern math or even the Muslims created algebra. Um, who who, who uh, among all of these humanistic people groups should we credit with the creation of math? <laughs> well, I think that the question... Um, is due to, and the fact that people attribute this stuff to people, you have to separate the notations and the way we describe things right. from the underlying consistency. Right. So yes, the Babylonians might have popularized the idea of zero, but nothing existed before the Babylonians came along, right? They just you know, figured out how to represent that right. and recognize it. And so when you look at the history of math, you see different cultures having discovered or developed tools to work with those quantities and consistencies that are around us. But that's just men using their God-given ability to observe what's going on in creation and to describe that. The underlying consistencies and principles God created when he created the world. Was it uh, Blaise Pascal or maybe Isaac Newton, one of those guys who said that mathematics is the language of God. Now I'm asking you to remember. Somebody said that. I'm not sure off the yeah, top. Yeah, it's one of, one of those guys. But I, I like the thought that mathematics is really uh, a communication that reflects who God is in his mind. And so math is here, you know, at creation. And it's always been existent. Just like music. You know, we didn't create music. Music was here. And and math is embedded into music. We, we just discovered it and we learned how to systematize it and formulize it and describe it and explain it and harness it and make it useful and, and tame it and subdue it. Um, but, but it's interesting to me how that framework that textbooks use to kind of reflect their humanistic worldview, that they attribute the creation of mathematics uh, as almost as though, you know, who created physics, who created thermodynamics, who created gravity. Right. Uh, we didn't create these things. They were part of the physical universe and we discovered it. And so I think people, you know, the, the, the great thing about studying history, right, is that we see how God kind of allowed different cultures over time to see more than previous cultures mm -hmm. and to be able to unpack this, you know, peeling back the layers of the onion, if you will. Um, not there wasn't one civilization that sort of figured it all out at one time. And so it's uh, it's kind of fun to see how God is, has allowed civilizations over time to see more of what was in the creation. Uh, but it's it's interesting to me how how people in, in these textbooks try to convince students that like mathematics wasn't even a thing before people got here. Um, but, you know, you, you read in Genesis and all of a sudden there's like numbers everywhere. I mean, from the very beginning, the very inception uh, of mankind. And I think what I think what your books do so well is that they help the student to begin to think in terms of concepts rather than abstract data bits. 
And so I've, I've seen a lot of curriculum, pro, curriculum uh, for math that is really developed to, to, in my view, teach abstract math concepts that students don't know how to relate to the real world. They don't know what this problem in front of them even would look like in a real life scenario, um, how it would ever be used in real life. Um, it's totally non-relational. That'd be a good way for me to put it. Totally non-relational. It does not relate to life. It doesn't to them. It doesn't relate to anything. It's just um, it's just a formula on a page that mm -hmm. seems random and it seems disjointed and it seems meaningless. And I, I think all of us, we're not really created to do meaningless work. We want the work that we do to be meaningful in some way. So the why do I need to do this is so relevant. And what I like about what you do is that you show application to the real world so that you know not only how to do a problem, but why to do it. And you also seem like you're trying to help the student to develop a way of thinking and problem solving, the critical thinking side of things, far more than getting them to memorize answers. And I love that personally, because I feel like part of why I didn't do as well in math as a student as I could have was that it was this rote memorization of facts. It was repetition, 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 uh, but without any real core standing of what it was that I was doing, why that formula produces that result. Uh, I'd, I'd say, I don't know why it works. It just works. If I do follow these steps, then I get this predictable outcome, but I have no idea what's even happened. I couldn't have described a real life scenario to you of what those formulas were even doing. And so I, f I feel like I sometimes describe your uh, principles of mathematics curriculum as being um, a good pre-algebra course. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it you've marketed it that way, but that's how I think of it. Is that fair? Yeah, it was designed to be pre-algebra. Although, like I said, older students can also go back and kind yeah. of fill in holes with it. But I love what you're saying with the need to really understand because otherwise you're essentially learning a subject, but you're not really you have no idea how to apply it outside of a textbook. Right. And so you're not really learning how to use it to serve the Lord one day. And you're not, you're missing the whole picture. It's kind of like if you were to try to teach your child how to cook by giving them a textbook and having them study things for years without ever letting them into the kitchen, they're going to think they hate cooking, right? Because they've never really cooked. And so one of the things I tried really hard in the curriculum to do was to let them cook, so to speak, to let them see how what they were doing applied and to train them how to think that through. And history, since we were talking about that a minute ago, is also very helpful in training them that way. There's a lot of history that I've pulled into the program because then they're getting to see that what they're studying didn't just appear in a textbook. It was men using their God-given abilities mm -hmm. to observe creation, to observe real-life problems, and to think through how to solve them. And so it's helping them learn the mathematical process so that they're really equipped then to use math as opposed to just manipulate a piece of numbers on a piece of paper. I should throw in here because I don't get it directly, but my own children use your math curriculum and I've had several that have gone through it so far and they all like it. Now the, they don't all find it equally easy. Um, there have been some who have struggled with it, uh, not because, not because it's, um, a difficult program, but just because there's concepts that they don't know, right? And so when you're introduced to a new concept, it's hard to learn. Mm -hmm. um, but they have all felt that the curriculum was meaningful. 
and that they were learning the why behind it. And so it gave them the motivation to continue to press through, even when they hit things that they had a hard time unpacking and really understanding because it was new to them. Uh, they could see the the purpose and the application for it. And so it's been wonderful for us as parents to see uh, each of our students that have used the curriculum really enjoying it and liking the process, even even when it's difficult for them. Um, one I'm, question. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to add to that. Like students learn things at different paces. So one thing I will often encourage parents to do is if a student is struggling through a new concept, you know, it's okay to slow down and, you know, use, there's free online worksheets all over the place on the internet. You can print out additional practice for them on those concepts and go slower because people do learn at their own pace. And so that's one thing that, you know, can help as they're, as they're working their way through, if they need a little bit of extra time, it's okay to take it. Yes. And, and Kate didn't say this, but what she's saying is, and you should homeschool. <laughs> because homeschooling allows you to be able to go at your own pace as opposed to the classroom is moving on with you or without you. Uh, and so there's a beauty in being able to uh, have, have a system that allows you to slow down and then advance at the student's speed as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that's free. And that I, was me. Kate didn't say that, but I, I'll throw I, uh, I will also add too, I did create an e-course to go with the program. Oh, fun. So, for students who need a little bit more hand-holding through concepts, they can watch me presenting it and then work the problems. And so that has often helped students that, you know, needed a little bit more for those new concepts. Fabulous. One, one question that a mother asked me one time related to your curriculum was, she asked, how would you describe this? Would you describe this as spiral or mastery in its approach to teaching math concepts? And I didn't really want to answer the question directly because I felt that I would probably misrepresent you as an author. And so I thought I would ask you, and maybe you could explain for our viewers and listeners, um, what is the difference between a mastery approach and a spiral approach to teaching math? And how do you feel that your curriculum um, would be best described? Um, because I have had kind of my own thoughts on it, but... I wanted to see what you would say or, or how you would answer that. Or, or do you feel that it maybe doesn't fit squarely in, in either one? I would say it doesn't fit squarely in either one. Um, so the idea behind mastery is students master a concept and then they move on to the next. The idea with spiral is that they just get introduced to it and then they go a little bit deeper the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year. And when I wrote principles, I knew people would be coming into it from a variety of different programs. Mm. So I did review a lot of, and I also knew that they may not have gotten the foundational concepts from a biblical worldview. So they might have just learned how to solve formulas and, right. and problems as opposed to really think through what they right. were doing. And so I really wanted to give them that biblical foundation starting at the beginning So because math is cumulative. And if you have a hole early on, it's going to eventually catch up with you. And so in the book, I do start with concepts that they probably have already learned. So that would be more spiral. And yet I am trying to get them to master things. Mm -hmm. So it, it is kind of a combination approach because what I, I tried to do was make sure that they had a firm foundation. I wanted, when they finished principles, and there's a book one and a book two, when they finished that, I wanted them to have a really firm grasp on everything from the elementary years. 
and be prepared and have like the big picture for as they moved into the high school levels. And so that required firming up some of those earlier things. And then also just giving them little sneak previews of some things that were going to come because I wanted, if they went to a different program after that, I wanted them to be prepared to see it from a biblical worldview. Sure. Well, many of our listeners are listening to audio only and they listen to the podcast as they drive in their car and so forth. So they won't have the visuals, but for those who uh, visit the YouTube channel and watch the podcast there, or, or maybe the audio listeners who want to go to YouTube and, and actually see physical copies of the books. Um, can you show us the principles of mathematics one and two? Um, they have a, I guess what I would call it, a teacher textbook and then a student workbook, although they're not, they're not labeled that way. They're not marketed that way by the publisher. Um, but you have the, um, uh, the, the one is, uh, that you're holding here. This is more the, that's the textbook. And here you talk about the principles and the concepts. And uh, then, and this is more, um, you know, we, we use this, I guess, would you call that a teacher guide? Or is it just a student textbook? This is the student textbook is what it's called, but it's basically the presentation. of the Presentation, course. right. So what we do is we, we use this as parents to kind of help our student to understand it, but we also let them read the, the chapters themselves. And then they go to the, uh, what's called teacher guide. And um, that has the student workbook with worksheets and the tests and answer key and all of that built into it. Um, and so there's, there's two books that go into each one. But go ahead and explain this a little bit. I was just going to show like one example here when they're learning about like the basics of um, congruency and congruent triangles, they actually get to find the height of a tree and they get mm -hmm. to see how that applies. It's like it's, it's showing them, um, again, why they're learning, what they're learning and preparing them to see it in a lot of different ways. And it starts at the beginning, like I was saying with, you know, the foundational concepts, but while they're learning it, they're seeing a lot of history and worldview building. Like here are some different ways that addition has been shown. And so they're getting to see, hey, our modern way of showing it is just a language system. It's just one way of describing this consistency. And then the, the teacher guide um, has a schedule at a glance that tells people like what to read each day if you want to do it in a year. There's also a complete it at an accelerated pace where you get through both books in a single year for those high school students who are going back. And there's also a schedule now for three years. So if you were starting in sixth grade and you needed to go slower with the concepts, you could do that. Excellent. That's a um, good idea. But basically every day, most days, they read a lesson in here and then they work a worksheet. And the worksheets, I tried not to make them super long because I wanted them to, I felt like if they understood the concept, they didn't need to be filled with a whole bunch of meaningless bookwork. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're, they're manageable, but they're filled with a lot of applications. So they're going to see why they're learning what they're learning. And so like when they get into the second book, it's more, more of the pre-algebra focus. But you'll see like when they're learning about coordinate graphing, they see why they're, why they're learning it. Here they're finding the height of a, a building when they're studying um, triangles. There's example meanings with a lot of the problems to help them see, you know, the purpose to what they're doing. And so the book two is more, book one firms up arithmetic and the foundational concepts in geometry that would typically have been covered in elementary and just a sneak peek into what's coming. And then this one focuses on 
readying for algebra and the pre-algebra side. Yeah, another thing that I really love about Principles of Mathematics is that because Masterbooks published it, it's amazingly affordable. Mm -hmm. um, so much curriculum is very expensive. And uh, for us, you know, we have 10 children in our family. And so budget is always a concern when you're teaching that many students. Um, not, not all of them are using junior high math right now, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, but over time, uh, they will. And so I, I love that um, this is a, a maculum that is exceptional. It is the best biblical worldview junior high curriculum I've ever seen anywhere. And it is, um, it is a, it's something the student really can understand and can grasp. It's something they can do, and, and it equips them to be able to think. But it's also affordable, and it's, it's done well. It's packaged nicely. It looks good. So there's just so many things that I love about it, and I'm really grateful to you for packaging it and uh, making it available because I just feel like you've done a phenomenal service in uh, filling, a, filling a gap um, within the marketplace. And um, how can people get in touch with, with you, and where can they get your resources? So my website is christianperspective.net, and so the, the Revealing Arithmetic and Beyond Numbers are available there. The other is there as well. You can also get the Principles Program through Masterbooks, uh, masterbooks.com. And on my website on christianperspective.net, I do have a free math blog. If you sign up for it, you'll get like a short video overview of you know, where is God in math and a little bit more detail of what we were touching on today. So that's also available. And and then uh, the e-course, is that something they'll find on your website? So right now, yes, but next month uh, it will be available on the Masterbooks website. We're in the process Ooh. of kind of moving that over. Mm -hmm. Wow. I feel like we got an inside scoop here. Yeah, you did. And I'm very excited about the new platform they've put together. It will, it's very, it's, it's a really nice learning environment. Wow. Fabulous. Um, and then, yeah, and some people know this, some people don't, but Masterbooks has published a couple of my books as well. In fact, my last six books have been published either by Masterbooks or by their sister company, New Leaf uh, Press, and uh, really love them and their commitment to biblical worldview and, and education, Christian education. Uh, are there other resources? I, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I want to make a plug for your books. If you haven't checked out Israel's, check them out. Thank awesome. you for that. And I also, um, we're writing an Algebra 2 program, and Masterbooks is planning on publishing that hopefully sometime this year. So just Fabulous. higher levels know that that's coming. Because people go from there into um, Jacob's Algebra and Geometry. So they have yeah. Algebra 1, and they have Geometry with Jacob's. And um, our students have been able to transition very well into Jacob's Algebra, have done well with that because of the foundation that you've laid within your curriculum. So it does make a very nice transition, but they haven't had an algebra too. So that's exciting that um, that will be available. And are we looking at a, a 2021 release on that? I don't know. It was supposed to be um, 2020, but things have, the COVID yeah. situation has kind of delayed. The pandemic came up, didn't it? I don't, I don't know what to expect, but hopefully 2020. I mean, that was the original plan. I yeah. just don't know. Well, well, probably by next year for sure, right? Lord willing. I mean, uh, Lord willing, yes. yes. Well, it's uh, it's a big undertaking. But I'm still hopeful for this fall. I'm still. Yeah, hopeful. I hear you. I I don't think people understand how much work goes into putting out textbooks. It's an enormous amount of work to create a curriculum, and uh, there's just a, a big process of of going through and 
um, editing and reviewing and laying out. And so there's a ton of that. Are there any other resources that we haven't uh, had a chance to mention yet? Any other ways that people can connect with you on social media or? I have a Facebook page and a YouTube channel. Um, they're all linked off of my website. It's probably the easiest way to just. Would that be Christian perspectives? Would they look up Christian it's perspectives? Christian perspective. Okay. Perspective. Yes. Christianperspective.net and then yeah. they would look up Christian Perspective on Facebook and um, or yeah I think you can find a Christian Perspective or Catherine Hannon um, would be that and YouTube it's under math is not neutral is okay YouTube. okay and give people a spelling on your last name Hannon is H-A-N-N-O-N Okay. And for the curriculum, again, um, you would probably find it if you searched it on Masterbook's website uh, by her name, you'd probably find it under Catherine Loop. But uh, have they adjusted that? Are they going to read? They'll probably adjust that with the new printings uh, for your curriculum. Will they change the, the my, name? My name is, is now showing up as Catherine Brackett Loop Hannon. Yeah. Okay, cool. So they can find that that way. And then, um, uh, but, but then just looking for principles of mathematics. Uh, I highly recommend that you get in touch with uh, Kate. And, you know, if you want to ask her questions, um, is Facebook a good place to do that? Like if they have personal questions they want to ask you. Uh, also, I guess we can throw this in there. Moms of Masterbooks is a Facebook group that Masterbooks has developed for people that use their curriculum. And so there's almost like a tech support community where if you ask a question about the curriculum, um, you can get perspectives from moms who actually use it and parents that use it. And so um, th they do that. But you're also part of that group as well. So uh, if somebody tags you in a conversation uh, or asks a question on that group, um, then you could jump in and answer the question there as well. So it's and a really helpful the, form. The admins are really good at tagging when a question relates to principles and they're really good at answering most questions so that they don't have to bother you with every single question uh but but sometimes there are uh just questions that people have that it's really helpful to hear from the author herself as far as how did uh how did you intend for this under concept to be understood or taught and um so appreciate what you do i know also in closing here that you are available to speak at conferences um we've spoken at homeschool conferences over the years together and you speak on teaching math, but you speak on other topics as well. What are some of the other topics that people could uh, have you come in and speak on at their event? I speak on seeing Christ in every subject, you know, teaching it, not just in math, but in, in every subject. And I share about my homeschool experience, um, do a homeschooling God, is God sufficient talk where I'm just kind of reflecting back to from a homeschool grad perspective of how I watched God work through my mom's weaknesses as well mm. as her strengths and mm. just how God really makes a wonderful teacher and I've done talks on socialization before. Um, so, but the vast majority of my talks tend to focus on math. I think you bring a great perspective because you are someone who was homeschooled as a student. And so you have that experience. Um, there are people who know how to teach an academic subject because they learned in a classroom setting and they taught in a public school, something like that. And, mm -hmm. and there's value to that because they know a skill and, and there is application. Um, but, but I will say that knowing how to teach in a school classroom is a different kind of dynamic 
sometimes than knowing how to teach in a homeschool environment. Like that whole concept that you said of slow it down. <laughs> Teachers in a public school setting, they don't have that luxury. You don't just slow it down. The train keeps moving. And yeah. so there are things that you can help homeschooling parents with specifically um, and uh, that I think they would find helpful. But I'm, I'm sure you would also speak at Christian schools or you know, they're probably are I have, yes. invited. Yeah. And, I have done, done that in the past. Well, I encourage you to check out uh, Kate's resources. Consider having her as a speaker at your conference. Um, any other words of encouragement? Uh, anything else you want to share? And then maybe just a, a parting word of encouragement for uh, the parent who has the student that struggles with math and finds it difficult. Some, some Just a quick message of hope as we close out the podcast. Okay. Well, I, I think I'll, I'll go with my theme verse for my ministry has been Psalm 105.4, which is look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always, and that within math and every subject, we have an opportunity to seek God. Mm -hmm. And so I just encourage parents to not miss that and to put him first and know that God understands it. You know, he created this world. He understands how it works and he understands what's going on with your child. And so if something isn't working, you know, take it to him and God can, if math is not your strength, it's okay. You know, English was not my mom's strength. And I kind of smile because I'm a writer now. You know, God took her weakness and made it into my strength. And I watched him teach me through that weakness. Like I remember one English lesson where I had a problem wrong and she couldn't figure out why. And I couldn't figure out why. And, you know, we were frustrated and she just bowed her head and she said, dear God, please teach Katie what she needs to know. I don't get it. Help. And we opened our eyes and I understood you know, she was still clueless. I think she probably is to this day, but God taught me what I needed to know. And it didn't always happen instantly like that. You know, sometimes it would take more of research or other people coming in and helping. But one way or another, if I needed to know it, God taught it to me. But I learned so much more that day by watching her bow her head and say, I don't know, God help us, mm. than I ever would have had she been an English whiz. Yes. You know, because in real life, we don't know but we need to know the one who knows. And so I would just encourage parents out there to not be afraid. You know, if, you, if math isn't your strength, I know it can be an overwhelming subject, but just know that God can work through that too. And it is an opportunity for you to get to behold God's glory together with your child and for them to watch you depending on him. So. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much. Uh, again, christianperspective.net. Uh, Kate Hannon is our guest. Thank you. I hope to maybe have you again on our podcast in the future. Uh, appreciate you very much and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and your ministry. Too. All right. God bless. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation. For more information on Family Renewal, the writing and speaking ministry of Brooke and Israel Wayne, please visit familyrenewal.org.